You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Three, two, one... But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Tour Sports Podcast. It is Wednesday, September 15th, 2021, people. And this is the first week we are finally back on a normal three episode a week schedule. We will basically be doing this schedule now from now until the end of March Madness. Certainly, at least in football season, we will be doing a new episode every Monday morning, every Wednesday morning, and then late Thursday, early Friday, depending on what the news cycle is. I will drop an episode previewing the weekend. So make sure you're subscribed. Incredible time to be part of the Aratora Sports Podcast. In terms of today's episode, I think we all know where it's going, where we're starting. We are going to talk Clay Helton. We are going to talk USC. I want to give you a little perspective on Clay Helton from somebody who lives in L.A. It was obviously the right time to let him go, but I think there's some stuff you've probably forgotten about him because most people have that needs to be acknowledged. I will then from there obviously do the part that we all want to do, get into some candidates. I will tell you who I believe USC should call and then who I believe are the other legitimate candidates outside of those two, three, four names. Also, one last thing on USC to to wrap that I think is going to be really interesting for you. I saw something interesting this weekend that I, I do think is worth acknowledging as it pertains to this USC coaching job, which is unquestionably one of the best jobs in the country, but also I believe maybe at a little bit of a crossroads if they do not get this higher right. From there, we'll take a break, come back where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, hit on some topics that I have just whiffed on over the last couple weeks. Get out of here. Have a good show. It's worth mentioning Friday's show will be awesome. We will obviously preview week three of college football. Nick Coffey will join me, and I suspect we'll be talking about Chris Livingston, one of the top high school players in America that is committing to play college basketball on Wednesday night. For all intents and purposes, it appears as though it will be Kentucky, and Kentucky will continue to trend up under that new coaching staff with John Calipari in charge. Finally, reminder, Aaron Torres Online. Make sure you're checking it out a couple times a day. We cover the world of sports uh, in a fun, loose 
relaxed way. Also, the College Football Betting Podcast, I am doing it. If, if you want more coverage, if you want something uh, that's more gambling heavy as more and more states come into legalized sports betting, College Football Betting with Aaron Torres, uh, it is available, Apple, Spotify, etc. pinned to the top of my Twitter page, so make sure to go ahead and find that. Two episodes of that every week in addition to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. But with that said, people, there is no more time to waste. Let's get into the topic of the day. And you guys all know what the topic of the day is. Clay Hilton has been fired as the head coach of the USC football program. And obviously, um, you know, I talked about it a little bit on Monday's episode. Clearly at that time I said, look, this guy is not the guy for the future. It is just a matter of if not when. But I will also be completely honest with you guys. When I said it's a matter of if not when, I did not think that he was going to be fired 48 hours later, 48 hours after that loss to Stanford. But that's indeed what happened as Clay Helton is out. Uh, and now we get to see who USC pursues as its next head coach. Uh, in terms of Clay Helton himself, listen, we're going to talk about him in a minute on the field. Uh, he wasn't good enough. He didn't get the job done. Generally, I am not in favor of firing coaches in the middle of the season. But this was something that I think had to be done. We'll touch on it in a minute. But before we do, I also think it's worth mentioning, we need to talk a little bit about what Clay Helton did for this football program. And I think it's easy to forget now. I think it's easy to sit there and say, Torres, he was a lousy coach. I watched his team. They sucked. Why are you giving him credit for anything? But I think it's important to remember the circumstances in which he took over this program, actually not once but twice. Uh, and I think he deserves some credit for creating some stability within the program that I now believe will, will allow them to hire a really good head coach going forward. And what I mean by that is this. I, you know, USC, I have lived in L.A. actually uh, since 2012 I got out here. And for people who don't remember, 2012 was the year USC started number one in the country under Lane Kiffin. They fall apart. They are to date the only team that starts the year ranked number one in the country that ends up unranked. The following year, Lane Kiffin is fired on the tarmac. We all remember that. Uh, but what a lot of people forget is that, well, they, they remember the tarmac and they remember Ed Orgeron, Coach O, taking over as head coach of USC. What a lot of people forget, though, is Coach O had a, a pretty successful run as the interim head coach, uh, and he believed that he thought he was going to get the head coaching job at the end of the year. Instead, USC decides to go with Steve Sarkeesian. Coach O leaves in a huff, and guess who was there to pick up the pieces? It was Clay Helen. Not blaming Coach O. I understand his frustration. Glad to see that he had success at LSU, although that success, he's got to turn that puppy around really quickly. Um, but you know, Clay Helton was there to pick up the pieces, coached the team in the bowl game, ran all the bowl practices, and really was just an adult in the room when nobody else would be. That enough, I think, deserves some credit. He was, of course, the offensive coordinator on that team for people who do not remember. Except here's the thing. Never forget, he was retained by Steve Sarkeesian. He was Steve Sarkeesian's offensive coordinator. And when Steve Sarkeesian went off the deep end two years later, not the following season, but the one after that, guess who was there to pick up the pieces yet again? Clay Helton. Um, and, and I think everybody remembers now, and I'm certainly not making light of this, but for those who've forgotten, Steve Sarkeesian had a really bad problem with alcohol. Uh, I'm not making light of it. I'm not making fun of it. We all know people with substance abuse issues. I am the last person in the world to make light of something like that. But I mean, imagine a head coach of a major power football program literally showing up to practice so drunk that he cannot run practice. That is what happened under Steve Sarkeesian. That's not me laughing. That's not me being funny. Those are the facts of the situation. And again, 
Guess who was the adult to pick up the pieces when the program was in complete shambles and Steve Sarkeesian had to leave, was fired, had to go to alcohol rehab? It was Clay Helen. Again, a coach showing up drunk to practice. I mean, you're preparing for Pac-12 games, 100,000 people in the stands, and your coach is so intoxicated that he can't run a practice. And so, to me, Clay Helton clearly wasn't the guy. He clearly wasn't the short-term answer. He clearly wasn't the wrong-term answer. But I think we forget how much of a mess this program was over a three, four, five-year stretch from about 2011, 2012 when Pete Carroll left until 2014, 2015 when he took over. Again, he wasn't Lane Kiffin or Steve Sarkeesian schematically. He wasn't Lane Kiffin or Steve Sarkeesian from a recruiting perspective. But what he was, he was the adult in the room. He was, uh, you know, a, a you know a foundational piece, a rock that the program could rely on, and he got them to much more stable ground. Now, what I would also say, what I just said a minute ago, I let me backtrack. I just wanted to bring that up to acknowledge what Clay Helton did for this program and why he needs to be appreciated even though he wasn't the guy to get them to the next level because I don't think there's any doubt that the program right now is in much better shape than when he took over in the 2015-2016 era. But that said, I don't think it was the wrong decision to fire a guy. And like I said, I'm usually not in favor of firing a head coach in the middle of the season, let alone in week two. But this actually had a lot of less Miles vibes in LSU a few years ago. If you remember LSU, they wanted to fire less Miles at the end of a season. The fan base basically revolted. Some key boosters revolted. He's brought back the next season, promises to make a bunch of changes. And next thing you know, it's the same old LSU. They lose to uh, Wisconsin, I believe, that year on opening night. The following game they lose or a few games later they lose to Auburn all of a sudden he is out the door ironically Coach O that's when he took over at LSU so Coach O's in the mix in a lot of these places um, but you know this had a lot of those vibes the Stanford game happens and like I said uh, I said it on Monday's episode but it was a microcosm of everything that has gone wrong in the Clay Helton era this, this was a USC team that entered as a 17-point favorite against Stanford. They lost by 14 and were down by 29 at the half. This after a game against San Jose State when USC needed to score 17 fourth-quarter points to put away San Jose State. On top of that, you have turnovers. USC had a pick-six return against them by Stanford. They had nine penalties for over 100 yards, and this was who USC was under Clay Helton. They were undisciplined, they were ill-prepared, they were losing to teams that they weren't supposed to lose to. Remember, Stanford just got their brains beat in about a week ago against Kansas State. They come into the Coliseum as a 17-point underdog and win by two touchdowns. This is who the program was. Again, unprepared, ill, you know, uh, you know, um, undisciplined on the field and so Clay Helton had to go and this decision had to be made now and I have no problem with them ultimately making this decision now because one it's clearly not the right you know there's no right time to make a decision like this but a couple things one they do have kind of an easy part of their schedule coming up. I'll give buddy, I'll give credit to my buddy Jason Shear, who covers Arizona, who pointed out that uh, their next three games, the Arizona Wildcats I'm talking about, Jason Shear brought up the point that USC's next three games are against Washington State, Oregon State, and Colorado, and there's a good chance that Clay Helton could go on a little run here and end up keeping his job. Uh, and so they made this decision now. It gives them whatever it is, three full months to fully vet candidates, three full months to figure out 
out who is the right fit and three full months to get it right. And so Clay Helton, he had to go. As I said, uh, the record isn't fully reflective of who he was and what the program was. Again, 19 and 14. I brought up this stat on Monday. 19 and 14 since Sam Darnold left following the 2017 season. And even last year, I think he would have been fired after last year, but they went five and one. But three of those wins came with fourth quarter comebacks. So yeah, Clay Hilton is done at USC. This is what I want to do. I want to take a quick break because I know I said I was going to do a little on Clay Hilton, a little candidates, and a little where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. I can already see this episode going off the rails real quick because what I want to do next is I want to give you my top three candidates, the candidates that I would call, as well as some of the candidates that I believe are legitimately interested in the job and would take the job and are the right fit for the job. I also want to tell you a couple guys that I keep hearing your boy just doesn't buy it. So this is what I want to do. I want to take a quick break, come back. We will talk candidates from there. All right, everybody, I am back. Good to be back. A uh, little bit of an early break on today's Aaron Torres podcast. But, you know, listen, I have a feeling this candidate segment is going to go a little bit long. Uh, and so with that said, I did want to take a quick break so that obviously I don't talk for like 40 straight minutes on this podcast, which we know is an inevitability. So with that said, let's transition and let's talk some candidates. Because, as I said on Monday's show, I truly believe USC is one of the five best jobs in college football, and I believe they're going to attract a Tier 1 candidate. Um, you know, this was a job that wasn't, while it was always a great job, it did have some problems infrastructurally behind the scenes, okay? It was a school that did not invest in its football program the way that the other powers do, the way that Ohio State does, the way that Alabama does, the way that LSU does, the way that Clemson does, Georgia does, whatever. And over the last couple of years, they've made a real commitment to changing that. Behind the scenes, the school has basically said, um, you know, we want to be on the Clemson, Alabama level. Well, we got to spend like Clemson and Alabama. And so they did that on top of already having every other resource imaginable in terms of being an elite football program. They have an elite recruiting footprint. I mean, recruiting even in the darkest times for USC has never been an issue. Number one high school player in America, Corey Foreman, last year committed to USC. Uh, number one cornerback in the country in the class of 2022, Damani Jackson, currently, as I record here, committed to USC. No idea if he'll decommit, although I suspect the fact that the defensive backs coach, Dante Williams, took over as an interim. I don't believe this kid's going to commit. But the point is, they already recruited an elite level. They play in basically an NFL stadium, 100,000 seat, uh, 100, seat you know, situation. They have this history. They have Heisman Trophy winners. They put guys into the NFL. This place is built to win big, and now they are financially committed in a way that they weren't even three, four, five years ago. So on top of it being an already good job, I believe that it is now on that upper, upper, upper tier, where as I said on Monday's episode, there is no reason that it cannot be the equivalent of Ohio State in the Big Ten, of uh, excuse me, Clemson in the ACC, of Oklahoma in the Big 12, a program that every single year is in the conference championship conversation, every single year is in the college football playoff conversation, gets in pretty much all the time, and from there, maybe wins a championship here or there. And so with all of that in place, I actually believe the candidate pool is pretty good. And what I want to do is I do want to talk about some candidates now, and what I would say is this. On Monday night when the job opened up, I just put out a generic list of candidates. It was on Aaron Torres Online, put up a little video on YouTube. What I want to do today, though, is go a little more in depth. And I don't, I don't just want to give you the names, although I will give you some names. But what I want to do 
is give you the three guys that I would call if I was USC's AD today, okay? Uh, They're not necessarily the three names that USC will call, but these are the guys that I will call. Then I'll go through a little bit of each, you know, each candidate outside of these three, kind of just discuss them, their strengths and weaknesses. Uh, I'll give you a couple that I actually don't think are in the mix that, that are listed as being in the mix, but that is the plan. Let's get into it. And so drum roll, please. If Aaron Torres was the USC AD, his first call, it'd be to Urban Meyer. And I know a lot of people are going to laugh, and I know a lot of the cool NFL insiders say he's not interested, and the cool college football insiders say he wouldn't do it. I'd give him a call. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. Maybe I'd wait till an especially bad game against an especially good opponent in which uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars get destroyed. Then maybe I give him a call. Maybe it's not today. Maybe it's not tomorrow. Maybe it's, I don't know. They play, uh, you know, the Seahawks on Halloween night. How about, you know, Urban Meyer flying back from Seattle, gets a little text from a 310 area code. Hmm, wonder who that could be. Oh, it's me, Aaron Torres, the USCAD. Why is that? It's simple. He's one of the greatest college coaches to ever do it. And he is simply not built for the NFL. You can argue it. You can debate it. You can say it's only one game. You guys all watched that game on Sunday just like I did. Urban Meyer is not built for the NFL. Never forget, this is a guy that when he coached college football, he was physically ill losing one game a year. One game a year, Urban Meyer physically could not take it, and that was in a sport where probably if they played 13 games, in 12 of them he had a significant talent advantage over his opponent. Now he's in the NFL where he's probably going to go, I don't know, like 3-14. and 14. He has the least talented roster in the NFL. They just lost to the second worst team in the NFL, and it wasn't even close. And if you saw Urban Meyer on the sidelines, you know he's not cut out for this. This guy is not a, a big picture, five to seven year guy. This guy is a come in, fix it, get it to the top, and then leave three, four years later kind of guy. That's where, how he's always been, and that's how he will be. He is not built for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He is not built for the NFL. He is not built to go, I don't know, 3-14 and 14 this year, then 6-11 and 11 next year, then the following year they make the playoffs, and then they're ready for the Super Bowl year four. No, he wants to win right now, and I think he's going to realize about halfway through this season that he is not cut out for the NFL. Uh, a couple, you know, and by the way, I would also add, if Urban Meyer actually got the USC head coaching job, it would be instant fix it because you look at the USC uh, roster right now, maybe they're not quite as talented as Oregon, but they're not far behind. And if this guy can win a national championship in year two at Florida in the SEC and can go undefeated in his first year at Ohio State, they were not eligible for bowl season that year. He could have USC, I truly believe, in the college football playoff conversation by year two. He is that good. The questions, of course, are, are simple. They're twofold. How do you get him out of, out of an NFL contract in the middle of the season, especially because the NFL season goes into January? Um, and, you know, obviously you want to hire this guy by the middle of December at the latest. What I would say is this. It's simple. You call him up, you call his agent up, you let him know, look, man, it's not working out. This isn't for you. Come back to college. We have a place for you. And you might have to sneak out the side door. It might be unpopular. You might get criticized on social media for a day or two. You know who else got criticized? Nick Saban with the Miami Dolphins, who said, I will never take the Alabama job, and then took the Alabama job two, two, day, uh, two three, four days later, whatever it was. Well, Nick Saban got crushed, and then a funny thing happened. He came to Bama, won a bunch of national championships. Now he's a freaking icon. And so if you're USC's administration, you just say, look, man, 
I understand you got you made a commitment to this team, to this organization, to this program, but it isn't working out. Come in, come to us, let us know. Uh, we are here. You're my number one choice. You're the guy that I want. Come to USC and build us back into a power. The only other issue I could see, by the way, is a legitimately big one. Um, historically, a few years ago, when Clay Helen almost lost this job, um, you know, there was a report that the new USC president, uh, Folt is her name, was not keen on bringing in Urban Meyer after the way that he left Ohio State, covered up some, uh, you know, alleged domestic disturbances, things of that nature. Uh, I would just say this. I don't want to make light of what happened at Ohio State. Don't want to do any of that. What I would also say is a school president has a certain say, but the most important person at USC is not the school president. It is the football coach. And there is enough money at that school. There are enough boosters. There are enough donors where you get the right group of donors on one side that wants Urban Meyer, they can flip that school president really quick or she ain't going to be the school president for very long. So to me, Urban Meyer is the clear-cut number one. I don't even think it's debate. And then it just becomes a question of whether you can get him to leave the NFL after less than one season. If Urban Meyer says no, I'll tell you who I, I like. Number one guy, Urban Meyer says no, staying in the NFL, James Franklin. James Franklin is the answer to me. And I know there are guys that have more natural ties to Mike Bond, more ties to USC. More James Franklin would kill it at USC. First of all, I think James Franklin, because he has not won, or because he has not gone to a playoff, I, don't, I think people forget how good this guy is, okay? First of all, took, took Vanderbilt to back-to-back nine-win seasons at Vanderbilt, okay? That has literally never been done in the modern era, will probably never be done again at Vanderbilt. They, can't, they just lost to East Tennessee State the other night. James Franklin won nine games in back-to-back -back seasons at Vanderbilt. He comes to Penn State, and again, because of the fact that he hasn't made the playoff, People think he's not like, like these are his last take out COVID last year. COVID was weird. His last four years before COVID 11 and three in 2016, 11 and two in 2017, nine and four in 2018, 11 and two in 2019, three 11 win seasons in four years before COVID one big 10 championship. They should have made the playoff that year. They got screwed because Ohio state got in over them, even though they beat Ohio state. This guy is a rock star. And I think James Franklin, a couple things. One, I think he's going to have to look really hard at the landscape at Penn State after this season. Maybe this is the year that he topples Ohio State. And I think there's a possibility, by the way. I think there's a possibility that they might actually be the best team in the Big Ten. Maybe there is a possibility that he topples Ohio State. Maybe there's a possibility that he wins the Big Ten, gets Penn State to the playoff. But if he doesn't, if this is the year that he can't get past Penn, or Ohio State, I think he really has to consider leaving. Because if he can't get past Ohio State in a year where Ohio State has a first-year uh, quarterback who had never started a game coming into this year and a defense that is clearly a mess, I don't think he ever will. And so at some point, I think he's got to be realistic and say, rather than banging my head up against the wall every year trying to beat Ohio State, let me go out to USC and create my own Ohio State in the Pac-12 at USC. And that's what I believe he would do. He's a dynamic recruiter. And on top of that, the reason why I like James Franklin the most, he's got pizzazz to him, man. And there's some other really good candidates that we'll get into in a minute. Luke Fickle, Matt Campbell, even Mario Cristobal. Who knows if they would take it if they wouldn't. But the point that I'm bringing up, is he has the personality to make USC the cool school again, okay? At USC, it's not just enough to win. You have to win. First of all, you got to win, which Clay Helton didn't do. But you got to win with flair. You got to win with pizzazz. You got to win with energy. You got to take over this town. Um, and I don't, I, no disrespect to Luke Fickle or Matt Campbell or whoever, they don't have that in them. 
James Franklin has that in him, and I believe he can make USC the cool, fun school again, and I do think that matters. I'll tell you a quick side story. I've told this story, I think, before, but I had a buddy who used to be an assistant coach of UNLV basketball, okay? And he told me once, he goes, you know, the problem with this job, everything is compared to Jerry Tarkanian's days. We're never going to be that again, but in this town, it's not enough to just win We got to win scoring 90 points, up and down, shooting threes, having a good time. We can't just win. We have to be entertaining. We have to be bigger than the sport itself. And that's how I feel USC football is. And so to me, James Franklin is the guy that can bring it to USC. It's worth mentioning. uh, His name has been eternally linked to this job. Uh, You know, I believe it was actually first linked when, when Steve Sarkeesian got the job in 2013. I know when Sark was fired, um, you know, James Franklin's name came up. That was, that was when he was first starting to build Penn State. Over the last couple of years when Clay Helton uh, has, has been on the hot seat, James Franklin has been a name that has been increasingly uh, increasingly brought up over those last couple of years. Some people say he's not interested. I'm just telling you, he's had a million chances to deny interest. He hasn't done it yet. Also worth noting, Tuesday he was asked about it at his actual press conference, the opening. You know what he said? I don't like distractions. I'm going to talk to my team about distractions. That's all I said. No denial. No, I'm happy here. No, this is my job for the rest of my career. He said, I don't talk about distractions in the middle of the season. Maybe it meant something. I think it meant I don't want to talk about this job because I would sneak out the side door to take it. So if Urban Meyer says no, James Franklin's my number three. Number two, and at number three, I, I, I do think it's Luke Fickle. And for people who do not know, who are not familiar, Luke Fickle is, of course, the head coach at Cincinnati. He has built a power at Cincinnati Uh, 11 win seasons in 2018 and 2019 last year an undefeated regular season and a peach bowl appearance against Georgia where they nearly beat them they have a huge game against Indiana this week and for people who don't really understand the tie Luke Fickle um, you know Luke Fickle was hired at Cincinnati by Mike Bond, who is currently the USC AD so USC's AD was previously at Cincinnati he hires Luke Fickle Now bring Luke Fickle to USC because in my mind, Luke Fickle's not the perfect fit. He's not super dynamic. He's not super interesting, but this guy knows how to build a program. He knows how to create discipline within a program, and I believe he is a guy that could have success at USC. He obviously has ties. He's another one that didn't really deny interest on Uh, you know, on Tuesday at his media availability. Now the Cincinnati fans will say he'll never leave, and maybe he won't. It is worth noting with Luke Fickle, Cincinnati is going to the Big 12. Cincinnati is potentially going to be in a position in a 12-team college football playoff to routinely make the college football playoff. But what I would also say is it's a little bit of a James Franklin vibe that I just described. Um, because Cincinnati is always going to be the number two school in the state of Ohio. They're never going to get better recruits than Ohio State. And at some point, I think he's going to be keep banging his head against the wall and say, you know what? I just don't think at this point uh, it's worth it for me to seriously consider staying here forever because there are jobs that are going to put me in a better position to ultimately reach my goal win national championships we will see it's worth noting he is a midwest guy he has never left the midwest footprint except for one year where he was the head coach of the the head coach when he played for the new orleans saints outside of that he has lived in ohio his entire career played at ohio state assistant at ohio state in akron now the head coach at cincinnati what i want to do now is knock out a couple other candidates now those are my top three now we'll just go through some of the other candidates i'm sure that you've probably seen a lot about 
with them again. Uh, I wrote about him at AaronTorresOnline.com on, I guess it was Monday night. Here are some other candidates outside of the big three. I would call Urban Meyer first. I would call James Franklin second. I would call Luke Fickle third. Outside of them, let's just rip through them. Mac, uh, Mar- let's start with Mario Cristobal, Oregon. Mario Cristobal at Oregon makes sense for one simple reason. He is a recruiting monster who is building a monster at Oregon. And part of the recruiting pitch is he's going down to Southern California and he is telling all those Southern California kids, uh, hey, come up here to the Pacific Northwest. We're creating a monster. Let's build a national championship contender, which is exactly what he's done at Oregon. Now, instead of having to convince a bunch of kids, many of which he misses out on, hey, come up to the Pacific Northwest. You're a four hour plane ride away from your parents and your family and your loved ones. Hey, You're now a 40-minute drive away from your parents and loved ones, and they can be at every single home game that you play your entire career with no money down. And so to me, that is why Mario Cristobal is a fit. He is a program builder. He is a recruiting monster. He's another one. If you could build Oregon into a national championship contender, you could build USC into a national championship contender. Now, I also think that flip side is why he may not end up at USC. It's because if he if he gets Oregon to the playoff this year, and I believe they're the third best team in college football outside of Alabama and Georgia, Why do you leave? You just built a national championship contender at Oregon. Why didn't you go somewhere else to start over and build there? So I think a lot of what happens this year will depend on if Mario Cristobal is interested. You know, if he just hits a glass ceiling at Oregon, they go 10 and 2. They can't get past USC or UCLA. Maybe they lose to, uh, you know, a Utah or something in the Pac-12 championship game. I think he has to consider it. I also think he's on his way to building a perennial college football playoff contender. If they get there this year, he obviously won't be going anywhere. Let's stay with the, the current college coaches. Uh, you know, Matt Campbell's a guy. I think Matt Campbell, I've heard from people that I trust, this is actually a job that would interest Matt Campbell. Matt Campbell, of course, is at Iowa State. He has built them into a perennial top 15 team. Um, but I also notice what I just said there, top 15 team. That is important because as we saw this weekend against Iowa, um, They're not elite, and they never will be elite, and they were sold all offseason as this legitimate playoff contender. They got destroyed by Iowa, okay? And so I do think Matt Campbell, he is going to have to look at the situation at Iowa State a lot like I just said with James Franklin a minute ago. If you can't get Iowa State to the highest level of the sport this year, and he's done an incredible job getting them from probably the worst program in the Big 12 to probably the second best program in the Big 12 behind Oklahoma, if you can't get Iowa State past that, you might not be able to. It might not be possible, and this is the year you got to do it. Your whole team seniors, you had some guys turn down the NFL to come back to compete for a national championship. You got a bunch of older players because of the COVID waiver that gave everybody an extra year of eligibility. And if you're still a nine and three or eight and four program after this year, it ain't never going to get better than that. And I think that's something Matt Campbell would have to consider, much like James Franklin. Now, on the opposite side, and what I want to do with all of these candidates is give you a reason why they might or might not take it. You know, in terms of the opposite side, uh, you know, one with Oklahoma leaving the Big 12, maybe this is a more appealing job. Maybe he does look there and say, you know what? Oklahoma is the thorn in my side. I'm never going to be able to out recruit Oklahoma. I'm never going to have better personnel than Oklahoma, but they're gone in two years. And can I out recruit Houston? Can I out recruit Baylor? Can I out recruit TCU? Can I out recruit Texas Tech? I think I can and I can win here. The other thing with Matt Campbell 
he has been linked for years to actual NFL head coaching jobs, and there's been speculation he doesn't really want to go start over somewhere else in college. He'd be much more interested in going to the NFL, so he is worth keeping an eye on. Uh, in addition to those four college coaches that I've mentioned, James Franklin, uh, Luke Fickle, Mario Cristobal, and Matt Campbell, the only other current college coach that I think makes a little bit of sense is P.J. Fleck at Minnesota. Worth noting with P.J. Fleck. By the way, P.J. Fleck at USC would be phenomenal. I mean, you talk about Mr. Positivity, Mr. Row the Boat, uh, Mr. Whatever. Now he's going to the land of sunshine and rainbows? Are you kidding me? He'd be incredible. And I don't think we can dismiss what P.J. Fleck has done at Minnesota and Western Michigan. 12-0 Western Michigan uh, at the end, 12-0 uh, season at Western Michigan. From there, uh, he goes to Minnesota, wins 11 games in 2019. And I'll just tell you, Winning 11 games at Minnesota, I would argue, is probably actually harder than winning a national championship at USC. It sounds like a stupid thing to say, but Minnesota hadn't won 11 games in over 100 years before P.J. Fleck got there. Uh, USC won about 10 national championships over that stretch. So P.J. Fleck, with the recruiting resources, the recruiting base that he has there, I think would just destroy it at USC. Now, the flip side is, I don't know how sexy of a candidate he's going to be by the end of this year. Last year, his team goes 3-4. and four. This year, they lose their starting running back to Ohio State, Mo Ibrahim. And if you watch Minnesota, they do not look like they are ready to compete at the top of the Big Ten. Uh, and if this is a 7-5 and five football program, I think it's hard to justify bringing in P.J. Fleck this year. Uh, but if they're 10-2, and, th and two, if they finish 10-2, and two, I'm telling you, he's going to be a heck of a candidate. In terms of other ones, I would just say, listen, I think Bob Stoops has to be a call you make. And for people who forget, um, if you remember, actually, so, so this is the backstory with Bob Stoops. Obviously, look, we know he retired from Oklahoma. We know he won a national championship. We know he's a friend of the Aaron Torres podcast. Um, and people forget that following, I guess it would have been the 2019 college football season, USC finishes 8-5. and five. Mike Bond takes over as the USC head coach. And it took him about two weeks until after the season was over before he actually committed to bringing Clay Helton back as the head coach at USC. Why does that matter? Well, it's because there was a rumor at the time that he heavily pursued Bob Stoops, that Bob Stoops considered it, but for whatever reason turned it down. Well, two years later, more resources within the program, expanded college football playoff. Is this something Bob Stoops could potentially be interested in? Remember, he's 61 years old. Sounds old until you remember. Nick Saban's about to be 70 in October, okay? If Nick Saban could still get it, have it rolling at 70, Pete Carroll have it rolling at 70 in the NFL, there is no reason that Bob Stoops can't come back and coach five, six, seven years. I think the only big thing with Bob Stoops you got to consider, does he want it? Does he really want to come back? And the reason is, and I, I talked about it on my YouTube channel, and I'm not making light of this, but you know, his father was a high school coach, a very prominent high school coach who actually passed away on the sideline, literally coaching a high school game, had a heart attack, went to the hospital, never made it home. And that was why Bob Stoops retired in the first place. He said, I don't want to be my dad. I don't want to literally, and I'm again, not making light of it. I don't want to pass out on the sideline. Um, I want to enjoy time with my family. I want to enjoy time with my friends. And is he really interested in coming back to the grind of college football? But again, it appears as though he seriously considered the job two, three, four years ago. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he considered it again. Chris, uh, Chris Peterson from Washington, I'm told that's a no-go. I'm told he just doesn't want to get back into college football. Not right now. I could be 100% wrong on this one. But I'm told by multiple people that he's just not that interested and that he's one of these guys, I don't think the allure of coaching at USC really appeals to him, right? Like, I think the allure of these truly elite jobs appeals to a lot of guys. It definitely appeals to Urban Meyer. I think James Franklin, seeing being the guy getting USC back to prominence in the Pac-12, and nationally, I think that appeals to him. 
I don't think Chris Peterson really cares. He was a guy that stayed at Boise forever. He only went to Washington um, because he kind of felt like it ran its course at Boise. He actually interviewed for the USC job at one point and essentially turned him down. was just like, I don't want all the drama that comes with this program. And so to me, I was talking to somebody in Seattle Ian Furness, a radio host, and I was like, I, I actually think Chris Peterson, if he ever comes back, he's going to coach high school, he's going to coach his son, his grandson, he'll coach in a D2 or a D3 where it doesn't, you know, you don't have to be on the road recruiting 100 days a year, you don't have to deal with boosters, I just don't see him being interested in being the head coach, you got to make the call, Chris Peterson's a really good coach, I just don't see him being interested, couple more names, uh, I saw Tony Elliott, the offensive coordinator at Clemson, I'm just going to tell you this, USC is not hiring an assistant coach that has never been a head coach before. It's just not happening. I live in L.A. There is uh, there is so much, um, you know, uh, confidence, arrogance that comes with the program. Um, you know, there I've seen – like, like – I'm just telling you, they're not going to hire an assistant coach who's never been a head coach. I don't care if it's, uh, you know, Pete Carroll's son. I don't care if it's Vince Lombardi's grandson. They are not hiring a guy that has never been a head coach. They have too much institutional arrogance to do such a thing. Uh, the only other guy that I thought was kind of interesting, I had a couple USC fans suggest this to me. I don't think Cliff Kingsbury is out of the realm of possibility, and let me explain why. For people who forget, Cliff Kingsbury actually was um, the USC offensive coordinator for about two days a few years ago. If you remember, he's fired by Texas Tech. He's looking for his next job, and he actually took the USC offensive coordinator job when USC decided to transition to more of a, a modern pass attack offense. He ends up getting offered the Arizona Cardinals job, and he said, offensive coordinator USC, Arizona Cardinals head job, I'm going to take the NFL head job. Uh, so with Cliff Kingsbury, look, we'll see what happens. I know they just destroyed the Tennessee Titans this weekend, but if it does not work out, if he is not the answer uh, in Arizona, there's a real chance that he could be fired as early as this season. And if that happens, he's going to be on the market. He obviously uh, would put together a stylistically impressive team. And I think if you put the right defensive coordinator with him and he doesn't have to worry about defense at all at a place like USC, where again, I mentioned it a minute ago, you're going to have more talent than everybody else. I think you got to at least give Cliff Kingsbury a call if all else falls through. And that's assuming, of course, that he is not the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals and that they let him go. And I do think if they miss the playoffs, he probably will not be there next year. Only other name I've really seen, Lane Kiffin, of course, Ole Miss. I don't see Lane Kiffin being interested in this job. I don't see USC being interested in bringing back Lane Kiffin, but I don't see Lane Kiffin being interested. Uh, you know, the way it ended, uh, you know, I think he's still a little salty about it. I know it's a new AD, new school president, all that stuff. I just don't see it happening. I could see Lane Kiffin leaving for a better job in the SEC, in the Southeastern footprint, uh, maybe if LSU opens this year, but I don't see the scenario where he's taking the USC job or it even being offered. That said, my guys are Urban Meyer, James Franklin, and Luke Fickle, if I had a choice. And let me just say one more thing really quick, too. I think this, this hire is really important for USC football, and let me explain why. It's not just simply because USC needs a good football coach, that's obvious, blah, 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 this and that, whatever. It's because I saw something interesting this weekend that really stood out to me. What was that? Well, I went to the, the Los Angeles Rams game last minute. I get a ticket. Buddy calls me. He's a Bears fan. He's got an extra ticket. Bears are playing Rams Sunday night football, okay? Decided to go to the game. Don't know what to expect. SoFi Stadium is incredible. But you know what stood out to me? The Rams have a real fan base in Los Angeles. And I think part of it is, you know, 30 years ago, 
the, the Rams were in Los Angeles before they went to St. Louis. There's a lot of second, third generation people in Los Angeles that remember when the Rams were here in L.A. And then beyond that, when they came back, some, you needed an NFL team to support, and so you support the Rams. But when I was at that stadium, it blew me away, the interest in the Rams in Los Angeles, okay? Um, the tailgating the number of fans, the scene, the, the fact that you have this new stadium, you have this dynamic head coach in Sean McVay, you have Matthew Stafford. And something struck me about USC. What struck me was they better get this coaching hire right or I think they're in danger of losing a generation of fans and never getting them back. And what do I mean by this? I'll give you another example. I just talked to UNLV basketball a minute ago. I'm going to use UNLV again. Many of you know uh, I go to Las Vegas all the time. Like, I, I go to Las Vegas all the time. It's my getaway. Some guys like to golf on the weekends. Some guys like to go hiking. Some guys like to go skiing. I like to, once every three months, go sit in a sports book, throw some money on some games, drink a Bud Light, and chill out. That's how I relax, okay? Well, I have a bunch of buddies in, in Vegas at this point, and one of them brought up something interesting to me. I said to him, I said, you know, why is UNLV, why have they never gotten back? And he said, well, part of it is they don't have the support that they used to. When Jerry Tarkanian was there, uh, they were the only show in town, and they were this town's professional sports team. And I do truly believe that if UNLV ever got really good at basketball again, that they would be able to recapture the town in a way that nobody else will. But at the same time, UNLV struggled forever. The institution, the administration has been incompetent. And what a lot of the biggest boosters for, for UNLV said was, screw you guys, man. You think my money's going to be here forever? Forget you. Golden Knights are in town. Las Vegas Golden Knights, the NHL team. The Raiders are in town. I'm going to go spend my money with the Golden Knights. I'm going to go spend my money with the Raiders. And if you watch that Raiders game on Monday night, you know how much Vegas already loves the Raiders. And if you don't know, the Golden Knights are huge there. Tickets are impossible to get. They were the first professional sports team. And so part of UNLV's problem is they just don't have the money and resources that they once did um, because they have essentially lost the fan base in Las Vegas. I don't think that will necessarily happen at USC, but what I will tell you, the Rams are really good and they're really interesting and the Chargers are here now too. And if you do not get this coaching hire right, if you go through another four, five, six years where you're just irrelevant, where the Coliseum is half packed and we now have like a 10, 12, 15 year track record since Reggie Bush and Matt Leiner when that place was popping, I'm just telling you, you could lose those fans forever. All right, so I'll be real. Didn't plan on doing a full 40 minutes of uh, USC football on this Aaron Torres podcast. But look, it's the single biggest story in all of college sports right now. And here's the deal. I, I could do another 10-minute segment on where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, hit on a few other topics. But I got three episodes a week now, baby. I don't want to force it. I don't want to put too much on your plate as listeners. And we got a loaded show Friday. As I said, we will fully preview week three of college football, Alabama at Florida, Penn State hosting Auburn, and what's going to obviously be James Franklin's last game at Penn State. No, I'm just kidding, Penn State fans. But, uh, well, you know, there's been plenty of meat on this episode. Don't feel like we need to go any further. And what I want to do is get out of here 40 minutes. As I said, we have three episodes a week going forward. No need to force more content uh, today. So what we'll do is we'll get out of here. Friday's show, again, week three college football. Chris Livingston, the basketball recruiter, set to commit. It seems like for all intents and purposes, it is going to be Kentucky. And uh, Nick Coffey will join me. Nick Coffey will rejoin me to talk uh, just about everything that's going on here in the world of sports. But I do think it's time for me with about 40 plus minutes in to get out of here. Before I get out of here, I want to remind you, please make sure, please make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, Spotify, 
If you have an Android, the Podcast Addict app, we are now on Amazon Music, Google Music, you name it. We are there. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, and if... If, 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 make sure you're following AaronTorresOnline.com. We got some sharp writers there uh, writing about the NFL. Obviously, we're covering college football. My college football picks are there now. So, yeah, great website, fun website, doing a lot of cool stuff there. We got a bunch of great podcasts. Make sure you're listening to the College Football Betting Podcast with Aaron Torres. I break down the slate even more than I do on this show. I get into it even deeper than I do here. But I think that's all for today's show. So, It's time for me to get out of here. I want to thank you guys for listening. I will be back Friday, three episodes a week. Nick Coffey will join me. That is all for today's show. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. Shout out to Clay Helton who just got $10 million to go away. Not a bad day to be Clay Helton. Not a bad day to be the agent of Luke Fickle, James Franklin, Urban Meyer, etc. I'll see you guys on Friday party, people. Have a great week. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.